Whether you are a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, um, you're a person, okay? And so that means that, that life happens to you, doesn't it? Uh, on a regular basis. And I don't know about you, but I'm realising the older I get, we have very little control over anything, really. We have very little control over circumstances. We have very little control over what happens to us. We have very little control over our health, maybe. We have very little control over the choices that other people make that affect us. The one thing we do have control over is our attitude. And attitude is everything. And what we're going to look at over the next five weeks together, um, kind of broken up a little bit with the iGrow weekend. So these two weeks and then the iGrow and then another three weeks. So right into October, we're going to look at a book in the Bible because the Bible is not a book. The Bible is a collection of books, 66 of them written by different people over lots of different uh, time periods. And one of those little books in the second half of the Bible that we call the New Testament is the book of Philippians. And this is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to a group of people in a place. And we're we're going to look at that and we're going to look around the, an attitude that I'm going to talk to you about in a minute and it, the attitude is res, in response to, to this kind of question. How can we overcome when life seems to overwhelm? How many of you ever felt overwhelmed? You ever overwhelmed? When, when it's just like this thing happens and then this thing and then this thing and this thing and it seems to want to bury me, how can I overcome? How can I get an attitude that is an overcoming attitude when life is wanting to bury me or seems to overwhelm me? So because of time, I'm going to dive straight in and go very fast for a bit and then slow down a bit. Is that okay? So just to get the gears uh, uh, sorted out. So we're going to look at quite a lot of the Bible t this morning. And uh, we're going to read uh, Philippians chapter 1. Um, so if you've got a Bible, or hopefully it's going to come up here. Right. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So this is a place. So he's writing a letter to a group of people in a place, together with the overseers and deacons, that's the leadership, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul introduces himself and he says, I'm writing this letter to a group of people who are at a place called Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, you read the story of where Paul is on the missionary journey and he gets stopped going to a certain place and he gets called to go to another place and he ends up in this place called Philippi. There he meets a group of people. One of them is a businesswoman called Lydia and she listens to what Paul says about this guy Jesus and the Bible says the Lord opened her heart and she became a follower of Jesus. And the first church in Europe began in Philippi. And that's this amazing, amazing place. Now, it's a strategic place. It was founded by uh, the Greek guy called Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. By the time of Paul, it was a Roman colony. It was actually called a tiny fragment of Rome. The roads and the infrastructure and the culture. It was like going to Rome, but just in a different part of the empire. And um, this is a letter from a friend to his friends. It's a very personal letter. And he had to leave Philippi because he had no choice because persecution came. Now, if you don't know what persecution is, persecution is where someone is, is for their faith, is, is, comes under this intense pressure, which can be verbal or it can be physical. And this has been going on for thousands of years and is still going on today. Last weekend, I was in Albania. We have a church now that we lead in Albania. And one of the ladies, Alona, Eight years ago, she left that church and she went to Turkey where she lives as a missionary. And she told me last week, she said, amazing things are happening. She said, but this guy from Iran who became a Christian, the biggest move of God in the world is in Iran right now. 
More people are coming to faith in Iran than almost anywhere else in the world. But this guy had to leave Iran, she told me, because of the persecution. He came to Turkey. Some guys got him and cut his tongue out. That was just a few weeks ago. And as I listened to Alona, who's a single lady of 40, who's, who's serving God in Istanbul, I thought, wow, this is like biblical time. Nothing much has changed. Persecution is a very real thing. And we need to be aware of that and alert to that and in prayer for that. Because whether we ever meet these guys and girls or not, they're part of us, aren't they? We talked about how Chorn, we're part of one family. That's across the world as well. We're not just a church local, we're the church global as well. And that's what's happening here. And Paul loves these people so much. Listen to these words in verse three. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is great. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can I just say, if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian just because you chose to be. You're a Christian because God did something in you. The Bible says it's the life of God into almost the soul of man. It's like like with Lydia, the Lord opened her heart. You know God, not just because you've chosen to, but because the life of God has come into you. It's the life of God in the soul of man. And if God has put his life in you, he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to complete it. In the words of a very old uh, quiz show, I've started, so I'll... Thank you, the older people were in there with that one. The younger, not a clue what you're talking about. I've started, God says, so I will finish. And maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe some of you need to know, I've started something in you. I am more invested in that than you are. I will bring it to completion. That's what he says to these guys. Uh, and, then, and then he opens his heart even more. I love this in verse eight. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word he uses for affection in the original language literally means bowels, okay? Because our, for us, in the seat of our emotions is our heart. We love you with all our heart. But in the ancient culture, the seat of their emotions wasn't the heart. They used to refer to the bowels, the bowels and the kidneys. Would change all of our worship songs, wouldn't it? If we went down that track, Lord, I give you my bowels. It doesn't have the same kind of ring to it as, as the other one, really. But what he's saying is that there's, from the depths of my being, I love you guys. It's, this is the, the personal nature of this. And then we come to the main verses we're going to look at. This is the key killer verses in verse 12. If we go to the next one, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's a life-changing verse. I want you to know, Paul says, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Now you'd think from the nature of how he's writing, I love you, you know, with all my bowels and all this kind of affectionate stuff, which it was then, that you'd think his life would be great. He's writing this letter from a beach with a pina colada and Bob Marley in the background and life is all fantastic. Not so. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul's writing this letter from a Roman prison. And we'll come on to that in a moment. Next, next one. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I want to, um, Lee, I'll, I'll use you because I used Annie the last one. Just come and join me. Just, a little round of applause for our very willing uh, uh, very willing. I've done this before. Some of you have seen this. I, I want you, you want to see this visually. Paul is in a Roman prison. 
they get Roman guards, like the really brute, ugly Roman. Yeah, we've got a good one. Yeah, we've got the uh, next. And they attach them by chains at their ankles. And this guy, Glutus Maximus, we'll call him, whatever. And uh, he, he's, he's, uh, he's here for three hours on shift. And he's chained to Paul. And Paul's writing this letter in this kind of situation. Every three hours, Glutus clears off and then Brutus comes, okay? And there's another guy for three hours. Now, Paul's a man of travel. He travels 10,000 miles in his life, okay? He's going nowhere. Paul's a man of adventure. He loves the outdoors. He loves new things. He's seeing the same walls week in, week out. Paul is an achiever. He plants churches. He opens new things. He's doing nothing other than being chained to this Roman soldier. For all he knows, he might die chained to this Roman soldier. Forgotten, finished, a failure. Thanks, mate. But he doesn't say that. His attitude isn't that. His attitude is, I want you to know that what has happened to me, this whole thing, has served to advance the gospel. And not only that, but actually... All loads of other people have been encouraged and inspired because of what has happened to me. Isn't that an incredible attitude? I don't know what you're chained to this morning. I don't know what it is that's come into your life that is threatening to overwhelm you. I don't know what it is that is threatening to constrict or restrict you. You may not be able to choose any of that. You can choose your reaction. You can choose your attitude because attitude is everything. And I, I, I look at this and I think, Paul has a great attitude to God, doesn't he? It's like God is good even when life isn't. I, I, I'm pastor of this church and I know many of you and I know many of your stories. I don't know all of you. My heart is really heavy right now because as a church, we've got some incredibly painful stories going on and not just stories, they're real lives. But you know, God is good even when life isn't. That's a great attitude. His attitude to himself. There's not an ounce of self-pity in the way he writes. I read this recently. While getting hurt is a reality, getting and staying bitter is a reaction. Getting hurt is a reality. You cannot choose that. Getting hurt, staying bitter, that's your choice. That's a reaction. He has a great attitude to himself. He has a great attitude to others. This is happening to him. He's thinking about what it's doing for other people. It's mind-blowing. And then he has a great attitude to circumstances. Uh, you, you know, like that, that story in the Old Testament about Joseph, you know, Joseph with the Technicolor dream coat. And at 17, his brothers strip that coat off him and throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. Then he ends up in a prison. And then two years, he should get out, but then he comes back. And, and then he ends up in a palace. And, and right at the end, his brothers come to him and he gathers them all around. And there's this big reveal moment. And he says this, hey, guys, you meant it for harm but God meant it for good. That's a great attitude. It's a great attitude. And, and if you go back to the guard, he's chained to this guard three hours every day, then another guard, then another guard. And he says, I could stay here getting bitter or I could have a better attitude. And you know the, thing, the amazing thing is, they all thought that Paul was chained to them. But I think Paul actually thought, I, know, I think they're chained to me. Because every three hours, there's Glutus Maximus here, stood there. What are they going to talk about? Paul has a few things to talk about. Let's talk about Jesus. Oh my gosh, I'm chained to this bloke for three hours. Then he gets off and he goes to the next one. Three hours with that bloke, he's doing my head in. But you know what happens through that? 
something amazing. Look right at the end of Philippians chapter four. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Because they thought I was chained to them, but they were chained to me. And many of these guys have become followers of Jesus because Paul was in prison. That's an awesome attitude. It highlights the attitude that we're going to look at this morning, which is the attitude called resilience. And many of you will have heard of resilience. It's the buzzword these days in health, in education, uh, in leadership. Resilience, the capacity to discover, to recover quickly from difficulties. My, my definition is the ability to overcome even when life seems to overwhelm. And I think as generations, maybe we're not quite so resilient as we used to be. I was out on Friday night with a bunch of us. We were friends together and we were out celebrating someone's 50th birthday. And I kid you not, halfway through the meal, we actually all said this, young people these days, they're not as resilient. Oh my God, shoot me now. But there's this sense in which, which maybe different generations, maybe we're not quite so resilient as we used to be. I don't know. But I do know that resilience is incredibly important. Research suggests that some people have a greater sense of resilience already in them than others. One of them is this guy. Anyone know who this guy is? Next picture. This is Aaron Ralston. And if you've ever seen the film 127 Hours, uh, recently I've just read his book, Between the Rock and a Hard Place. I was blown away by this. This guy at 27, okay, not a believer, although he prays uh, in the story various times when you read the book. This guy is an adventurer. He's like going everywhere, doing stuff. He's a canyon walker. And he's out one day and he's out looking, exploring canyons. And he meets these two girls and they swim in pools together. And he says, I'll come back and see you tomorrow. But he goes off on his own and he falls down a canyon. And as he slips down the canyon, a boulder falls down and locks his left arm into the canyon and he can't get out. And if you've watched the film, which I would suggest you don't watch with small children around, all right, because it's not that kind of film. It's incredibly graphic, but incredibly inspirational. The book makes the film look like Bambi, okay? When you see it in the actual reality, he's trapped for at least five days, okay, in his arm. He drinks his own urine. He's, he gets, he's only got a penknife and he's trying to chip away at the rock to get his arm out. He's trying to make a, a device so that he can, he can counterlever the rock and, and get it to flip off and he can't do it. He wants to live so much. And he's got this resilience in him where he comes to realise in day five, the only way I'm going to get out is to cut off my arm with my penknife. And as you read the graphic detail in the book, some of you are, are, are freaking, aren't you? The resilience of this guy just blew me away. When, when he realised that it was so blunt that the only way he was going to do it was have to break his own arm and then, oh, yeah, I'll stop. Shall I stop? I'll stop. But what's amazing is his attitude. Is his attitude. And right at the end of the book, in the last chapter, is, is, and it's called Epilogue, A Farewell to Arm. A Farewell to His Arm. And what happens to him is that when he, he chops his arm off and he gets out and he lives and all of that and he still climbs mountains and does crazy stuff. But it was so inspirational to people they started writing to him and listen to what he said. This lady wrote me this, your act of bravery has inspired me to hold on more dearly. I had promised myself that I would end my life if things had not gotten better one year after my husband's death. I now know that suicide is not the answer. 
You inspire me to stay strong, remain brave and to fight for life. Then he said this, my parents and I wept over that letter every time we read it. It was a reminder in difficult times of the greater ripple effects that my rescue and recovery were having on people. And as he walks out the canyon, he takes his arm with him. And then when he gets back home, he has this ceremony where he cremates the arm, takes the ashes back to the canyon and puts the ashes on the boulder because he calls the boulder his boulder of blessing. He said, because out of that, some amazing stuff happened in my life and in the lives of others. (laughs) He's got innate resilience. More than you and I, okay? I ain't gonna do that. I ain't cutting my arm off with a pen knife. Paul had innate resilience as well. Because the Bible says he was whipped, beaten, flogged, and all this kind of stuff happened to him. Once he was so beaten up, uh, he was left for dead outside a city. But the believers gathered around him, and I think they prayed, and, and he got back into the city. And I love how this guy writes about it, a guy called John Hagee. He said this, Paul picked his bloody body up out of the dirt and went back into the city where he'd almost been stoned to death. And he said, hey, about that sermon I didn't finish preaching. Here it is. Love it. And there's a model of resilience out there and it's very simply this, that you have adversity plus what's in us plus a process, keep going, keep going, it's greater resilience. That's the model. Next one, thank you. Adversity, so tough times, things that are overwhelming plus what's already in us and guys like Aaron Ralston and Paul have got shed loads of it. You and I probably haven't got that much but whatever's in us plus a process will produce greater resilience. I think from the Bible, we can put that in a different way. Things happen to us. Things will happen to us, okay? And here's the thought. Things happen to us, but then things happen in us, good and bad. When you're in adversity, things will happen in you, whether they're good or whether they're bad. John Maxwell, who's a leadership writer, said, circumstances do not make you what they are. They reveal what you are. I had an experience this week, and um, at the first service, I said, I said these words. I said, uh, I needed in my journaling this week to confess to God and to ask for repentance for something. Would you like to hear what it was? People shouted out, yes, yes, yes. They woke, some people, three old ladies woke up. They were so excited because <laughs> I was going to confess something. It wasn't that big. But what happened to me, as some of you know, is that I was in um, Istanbul, um, I was in in Albania last weekend and we were flying on Monday to Istanbul, catching a connecting flight back home. It was all mapped out in my mind, I was going to fly back home, date night with my wife was Monday night and then I had lots of stuff to do Tuesday and I was speaking Tuesday night. Got to uh, Tirana Airport in Albania, thunderstorms, lightning, rain, planes not landing, By the time they were landing, we were all delayed. When we headed to Istanbul, we were late. Got to the gate. Um, The gate is 20 minutes away uh, from where I was. It's a massive airport. I run across the airport. The whole of the Middle East, Asia and Africa were all in Istanbul airport on this day. I'm running past, get to the gate and the gate is shut. I beg and plead, offer money. I don't, I don't, I'm joking. Oh, please let me on, please let me on. Doesn't let me on. And then what happened in me wasn't great. And then when I had to go through and queue up with loads of people and people were shouting, there was 10 people on my plane who were meant to go to Miami. They were all stranded. Their kids were screaming. Mom and dad were screaming. I started screaming. It was all, 
and then, and then I got to the gate and I got to speak to someone and then I had to get a visa, go through this, queue up, do it. And do you know what? It was no big deal. But what happened in me wasn't great. And I had to say sorry to God for the way that I spoke to some of the guys there. And I didn't, I wasn't completely terrible, but I wasn't great. Other times I've been in adversity, good stuff's come out of me. Because what happens to you will bring out something in you, won't it? Three weekends ago, or two weekends ago, three years ago, was when we had the fire as a church next door. On the Sunday, do you remember? And on the Monday morning, we sent a little social media message out saying, hey, we've had this fire. We're gonna, a few of us are gonna pray tonight. Anyone wanna come? It was bank holiday Monday. 150 of you turned up to pray. What happened in you was magnificent. And in the next four days, you all worked like Trojans to get this building, the old building that was here, so that we could have church on that Sunday morning and somebody gave their life to Jesus on that Sunday morning. See, what happens in us can reveal something. What happens to us can reveal something in us. But then here's my killer thought. When the right things happen in you, great things can happen through you. Did you get that? When the right things happen in us, great things can happen through us. But the key is attitude. Attitude is a choice. We choose how we're going to react and how we're going to respond. I chose badly in that airport for a moment. Other times I've chosen well. We need to choose well when things happen. But before we, before we kind of um, uh, look, look, look at that a little bit more, there's a key, there's a deeper key, I think, to Paul's resilience than just his choice. Because the problem with resilience teaching, if you only look at it out there in the world, is it's all about being positive and having positive mental choice. And that's fine and that's important and some of that is biblical, but it's much deeper than that. Paul didn't have resilience just because he chose to have it. There was something deeper going on. If you could put one thing in a box that said, this is the top thing in your life, what would it be? So for me to live is... What, what suggest? Rory McIlroy. What might he put? Might put golf. Tiger Woods. Golf, yeah. Lionel Messi. Help me out here. I'm speaking on my own here. Yeah. Uh, um, Tom Cruise. Acting, maybe. Okay. Nigel Farage. Europe. Joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. Okay. Whatever is the top thing that we put in our life, that almost like, that defines who we are. And here's the interesting thing. Many people would put things like maybe pleasure or uh, success or family or religion or all kinds of things. Nothing wrong with any of them. Paul has many of those, but Paul has one. And he says it in Philippians 1 verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I want to, think, I want to suggest to you, there's something in that which is the key to resilience. It's not just the power of mental choice or being positive. It's having a deep conviction that the box that I put, in my, the, the thing that matters to me the most, the thing that I, do you know what? I'll never lose is my relationship with Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. On Friday, this Friday coming, there'll be a funeral service here. And um, it's for a friend of mine. That I've known since I was a child. His name's Paul as well. And um, we, we grew up together in the Salvation Army. It was the church we were in. And Paul was an only son. And um, at 20, lost his own father. And so my dad um, took him in a little bit. And Paul came on holiday with us. He was a few years older than me. He was only 56 
when he died, but we came and went on holiday together and, and he, he worked in my dad's company for a while as well. And Paul and Karen and their son Ryan, who's here today, um, have been in this church for, for, for a good while. And just a few weeks ago, many of you will know that Paul has been very ill for a long time and, and was waiting for a, a liver transplant. And um, so was on the list and then had a call a few weeks ago. The sad thing is, of course, somebody's died, but the good thing in one sense, there's an organ and it's a match. And they blue lighted him down to London. And on the Thursday, he's going for the operation. And, and, and as they begin to, to, to give him anesthetic, he said to the, to the doctors and the anesthetist, hey, you know as you put me to sleep, you will make, wake me up, won't you? But if you don't, it's all right, because I know where I'll be. And they put him under, and he went through the operation, and he didn't wake up. <laughs> and he's with Jesus now. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said 2,000 years ago. For me to live is Christ. Like, I want you to wake me up because I want to live. And it's Christ. But you know what? If I don't, it's all right. Because that's Christ too. So actually, I'm a winner both ways. We've got to get to that level of relationship with God where actually, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's Christ. So I can't lose what's in my top box Anything else you put in your top box, you can lose. Your wife, your family, your job, your career, your, your, your finance, anything, you can lose that. But when Christ is the top person in your box, that's incredibly liberating and empowering. And then he goes on to say in verse 23, 24, I'm torn between the two, Paul says. I desire to depart and be with Christ. She's talking about death which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul uses a beautiful word for death here, the word depart. And the word depart in the original language has got three meanings. One is like a ship that the anchor is lifted up, the sails are up, and it's heading to a new destination. That's what depart means. Depart also means like when you're in a tent. How many have ever been in a tent? You know, festivals, youth conferences, you know, a tent. You're taking the tent down because you're moving into a mansion. That's what depart means. Depart also means you're in a prison cell and you've been set free to freedom. That's what, that was his attitude to death. Wow. For me to live is Christ, but you know what? To die, it's amazing. We need to get to that kind of reality. What do you have that you cannot lose? What do you have in your box that you cannot lose? Unless it's Christ, folks. We're going to be in trouble. And when life overwhelms us and when we get, we get that sense of, of being crushed and being buried, unless we have that sense that, do you know what? Christ is the top box of my life. We're never going to develop that resilience that I think we need to develop. When the right things happen in us, great things can happen through us. So what are the right things as we finish, as we draw to a close? Let me just give you three. I'll do it ABC. Hopefully you can remember it. Firstly, you've got to accept got to accept some stuff happens. You know, I mean, lots of Christians say, I am not accepting this. And I understand what they're saying. They're, they're going to fight it. That's fine. Fight it, but you've got to accept it because it's real. So when you're sick, you're sick. Saying, I'm not going to accept it is not going to change it and it's not biblical. So we accept it because we say, hey, we've got to embrace this. But in embracing it, we then, secondly, we want to believe that God is at work in it and through it. So we're not going to go under with it. We're going to believe that God is at work in it and through it. Joseph spent time in, in the pit, as we said, and then in the prison. And there was a phrase that kept recurring in the Joseph story. It said, the Lord was with him. Oh, the Lord was with him. 
And then when, oh, but the Lord was with him. And then the Apostle Paul, um, later on, he's in prison again. And he writes, the very last thing he writes in 2 Timothy 4, and he talks about all the people who've left him and deserted him and done him harm. Then he says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. I'm going to accept this stuff, but I'm going to believe God is with me and God is at work. You know, God has been with good people going through bad times for a long time. God has been with good people going through bad times for a very long time. And then finally, see, we need to choose to continue. You are not at the end of your story. Don't let this season define and determine the story that God has for you. I want to invite the band if they could come back. I want to pause for a moment. We're going to do something a little bit different as we finish today, but I want to pause for a moment because I just sense that you know, some of us need to respond today. We need, we need to maybe accept and then say, and I'm going to believe God that you're at work in this and through this, but then I'm going to choose to continue. And I think choosing to continue you know, and building resilience means you walk with good people. Bible says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harms. You've got to walk with the right people. You've got to let the right voices be in your head. But you've also got to choose to build some discipline into your life, which is going to build resilience. Even when you think, but I'm chained to a Roman soldier. Do you know what I mean? I'm going nowhere. In another book, Paul is in prison again, and he's asking people to send these books because he wants to read, because he wants to grow. That, that, that's discipline when you're in a bad situation. Listen, when you're being overwhelmed by life, don't stop doing the very things that are gonna build strength into you. So don't stop worshiping together. Don't stop relating in group. Don't stop praying. You know, people say to me, uh, even recently, you know, they're going through difficult times, said, but, but when I come to church, I cry. I say, that's fine. Cry away. That's part of the process. You're in a safe place where you can cry and it's okay. Just cry your way through it, but don't take yourself away because you've got to continue through the story. And so I want to do something for a moment. I want us just to close our eyes for a second. Is that okay? Guys, right now, listen, we're family together. I know we don't know everybody and we've got guests here as well, which is great, but there's a sense of family, whoever you are, okay? We just want to treat you as family whether you like it or not, all right? Because that's just what we are. So listen, if you are being overwhelmed right now, and you, are, you feel restricted and chained and maybe going nowhere and just like life is crushing you and you're saying, but God, I want to choose to continue. God, I want, would you help build resilience and strength in me? I wanna say in the future, this has served to advance the gospel. Look at what God has done. This rock has become my boulder of blessing. If that's you, I want you to stand. I want you to be courageous and stand. And I want to pray for you this morning. This is not for me and this is not for show. I don't care how many of you do it. But if that's you and you want to say, I am going to choose to continue. And I want you to stand because we want to pray for you. And if you're sat down around someone who's standing, would you just open your eyes for a moment and maybe just put your hand on their shoulder or their arm sensitively if you can, just so that they know that they're not on their own. Father, I just want to pray for all these people stood right now. God, God, you started something in their life. You began it. You will complete it. 
And so, Lord, I want to pray that right now they can't see it. They're in the prison, as it were. That They're in that pit. That They don't know what, how it's going to end. And I don't know how it's going to end neither. But God, I know that you're there. And I know that you're with them. So Jesus, I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you come so close to these guys? Would you strengthen them? The Bible says that we would be strengthened on the, with the inner man, with the inner woman. That isn't in the mind. It's in the spirit. Would you strengthen their resolve? God, I pray for their attitude as well. Lord, that as things come out from them, God, I pray that continually on a daily basis, they would choose you. They would choose you. They would choose to believe you. They would choose to trust you. They would choose to continue with you. They are not at the end of their story. Jesus, would you come? Holy Spirit, move through their lives, I pray. Courage and strengthen them and bless them. God, I pray even this week, even this week, in these next few days, I pray that there would be something that would be just a little sign of your grace, just a little, a little rainbow somewhere, a little, a little something that just shows them that you're there and that you're, you're acting and working even when they can't see it. So God, would you do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, guys. We're gonna, as we finish, do one more thing. I heard this recently, this story at an event I was at and, and, and it blew my mind really. It was a story that the worship leader told of where he met this lady from North Korea and, and she'd been a Christian in North Korea and she was arrested for being a Christian and she was put in a concentration camp, in a prison, war, a prison camp. And um, she said, we couldn't talk to anybody about Jesus. Okay, but what she used to do is as she used to walk across the courtyard, if she'd walk past someone else, she'd just whisper, Jesus just the name and if she got a good reaction she connected with someone who was a believer and as she did this day after day they connected a few of them together but only by whispering the name of Jesus and she says and then we realised that the only place we could go to worship Jesus together was the toilets so they go to the toilets and arrange to go to the toilets and in the toilet space they would literally worship Jesus by singing in a whisper And I just was blown away by that story because there's some people that have put in their top box for me to live is Christ. Because that's the only thing you can't lose at your top box is your relationship with God. And and what I want us to do is is we're going to go back in time. This song is so old, it's brand new for many of you this morning, okay? We're going to sing a very simple song which just says, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. But we're going to whisper it. Then we're going to whisper it a little bit more. Then we're going to whisper it a little bit more. And then it's going to grow into a crescendo of praise. And we'll just take these few moments just to say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't understand everything that's going on in my life, but I love you. You are good even when life sucks. And I lift my voice. And if it's a whisper, that's okay. But if it's a a shout of praise, that's okay too. So we're going to whisper, I love you, Lord and then let it grow here today.